You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Dog or the Tanuki in their native home range in Eastern Asia, they have a great role in the ecosystem. Where they? What can they teach us? Yes, yes, they're amazing, and I mean they do something that no other canid does. So we'll get there in the podcast. But that was like wow, like just many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. You wouldn't expect that from a, a dog species or a species of canid to sound like that. I know, Chris, but that's why this week is so exciting. Oh my God. I, 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 I did, oh, I'm so excited. Yes, Chris, there's several differences we're going to talk about between mm-hmm. the raccoon dog and yes. other members of the canid family so they they're, uh, they're unique they're so unique oh, and this was a I, lot of fun to prep for I, I the first thing i was saying is like these even exist i just i remember going back to it was the snow monkey episode we were talking about wildlife of japan and i just i'm like this thing exists this exists well, and this is why this podcast is so fun yeah. and it's such a like passion project yeah. for me because mm-hmm. I get to learn about amazing creatures that truth be told, I, I didn't know existed. Uh, and this is for you and I, because of our background with animals and science, it's, it's kind of a rarity. Like it doesn't, mm-hmm. it, uh, we know about a lot of species. And so there's been a few though that, that we've come across in this podcast where my jaw just hits the floor and they're so adorable. And I just didn't know how much I was missing in my life by not knowing. I know. <laughs> and then just, you start, it's... and then, and that's just looking at the picture and they're adorable. And we'll describe them in a, in a moment. I mean, it really is like a raccoon and a dog mixed together. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. for all of our fans from Japan or mm-hmm. uh, even over in Asia, the other pronunciation that you'll hear us talk about in the podcast is going to be Tanuki. Yeah. 
So it's in Japan, yeah. Is, uh, and there's a couple other names too, including a, a Magnut and a Neoguri. But Tanuki was the most popular one I saw in the literature and then, of course, on uh, YouTube and other other different informational sites. Well, and it's, you know, it's, it's, they're so revered in Japan. So they, they, they call them that. And just I have to give a huge, you know, thank you to Asuka from Japan who emailed us a couple of weeks ago and just how much she loves the podcast. She's getting a degree in conservation and she's like, you got to do raccoon dogs. And I, Angie's like, okay, done. <laughs> because people so, want to do. <laughs> but thank you. It's, we appreciate yeah. that. And a lot of times Chris and I can be, unconsciously biased to species that are are either in North America mm-hmm. or like I've traveled a lot to Africa. So please listeners, please, please, if, if you live in other parts of the world that we've neglected uh, to talk about species from your, uh, from your hometown, let us know. We, uh, we definitely yeah. want to make sure we're covering as many cool and unique species out there. And, and, and the whole goal is for people to learn and have fun today. And I, I, yeah. it's impossible, I think, to leave this podcast and not be amazed by raccoon dogs and impressed <laughs> by some of their physiology and yeah. just, man, shucks. They're, they're just so cute. They're so adorable. It just, I wanted to say too, in Japan, it's, it's, they, a lot of shops will have like statues of them out front because they bring good fortune. So they are important to the Japanese culture and it's just, oh, they're just. Yes. And, and for our Japanese listeners, I will say, I'll have Chris put some links in our show notes. We'll try to talk about the, uh, the folklore today and some of the culture, but I know we won't do it justice. In fact, I read a 26 page paper. <laughs> Jeez. On on Tanukis and on their cultural significance and the symbolism. And of course, as Chris mentioned, good luck is definitely part of it, uh, the, the biggest part of it. But yeah, the, it's very, very steeped in Japanese culture mm-hmm. and very rich with drawings that date back hundreds and hundreds of years. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's a lot of fun. And I'm glad that our listeners could help bring this animal to us. And now we're bringing it to you. Yes. Yes. They're amazing. And I mean, they do something that no other canid does. So we'll get there in the podcast, but that was like, wow. Like just, they are very similar, but yet they're very different. It's just, it's, they are a raccoon and a dog put together. It just, it's that simple. It's that simple. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy. And, and yeah, they, Mm. they do give, uh, taxonomists and uh, molecular mm. geneticists uh, run for their money too, though, because there are some some really interesting and different things going on with them. Right, right, right. And before we get there, so just real quick, you know, thank you to our listeners. You know, we keep seeing you sharing the podcast. Thank you. You know, we, we just, this is free knowledge. We need to get it out there. We need to uh, keep growing this army. And just thank you to Gino and I, who joined us this week on Patreon. So they yeah, are now awesome. supporters. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Just, you know, you're supporting free education and conservation and we're just, you know, now we have the, the all creature kids podcast rolling. That's we're busy. What, yeah. You just yeah. see you and I, we're on the yeah. same wing wavelength, yeah. buddy. Yeah. I was just going to say that. I was going to say, you know, if you can't uh, throw a couple dollars down per month, I totally understand understand especially right now of all times it's a little it's a little uh unprecedented right now the economy and mm-hmm. things like that 
But what you can do is you can check out our All Creatures Kids podcast. And we're always looking for more kids to interview and talk about their favorite species and help other kids and people get excited about conservation. So you can send them our way. And also you can easily give us a five-star rating and review mm-hmm. on iTunes. And a huge shout out goes to Awesome Possum that gave us a great review on iTunes. And then just a day or two ago, Emily Meister said it was her favorite podcast and she's enjoying learning about all the species. So Emily, you're going to enjoy today's about raccoon dogs. Trust me. And Emily says she loves the podcast because she's a college student and she's studying to be a zookeeper. So thank you, Emily. Your reviews mean the world to us. And um, for all of you that haven't done it yet, Let's see if we can get like 10 reviews in this month of April. That would be awesome. Make Angie happy. Make me happy too. Yes. Yes. (laughs) All right. Angie, the question, my question for you describing these things, is it fox-like or dog-like? Wow. You're starting really difficult Uh, today. I know. It's it's raccoon-like. It it is raccoon-like, but. Yeah. Well, the raccoon-like comes from the face. And so the patteration, the coat patteration of the face is very, very similar to what we see with our North American raccoons mm-hmm. in that raccoon dogs or tanukis basically have like a black mask running over their eyes and kind of down their cheeks into their neck and shoulder region. And these markings are pretty identical to a raccoon. Yeah. yeah. But they're not related to raccoons. Uh, not at all. <laughs> not at all. So, at all. <laughs> but they have a similar like grayish brownish coat pattern mm-hmm. uh, over the rest of the body and and their ears are rounded and short and they just look like a fluff ball of fur is basically <laughs> I mean, so I mean in some instances they're cuter than raccoons, which I would never thought would be possible. But their body shape reminds me almost like a collie dog. Like it's long, Mm -hmm. but it'd be like a short collie or maybe like a Sheltie where it has like shorter legs. And their face actually looks pretty fox-like or with a narrow nose. Or maybe that's that's where kind of like the – I was thinking of like a collie or a Sheltie because it has a a, a narrow muzzle. I'm, I'm just not doing this. Guy no, it's, this. you have to, I mean, you have to look at a picture. You, 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 cause I'm sitting here thinking, how do I describe this thing? It's a, it's a, it's a raccoon and a dog. You mix it and this is what you get. I, it just, yeah, it's like the body, it's like the body of a fox with the face coloring of a raccoon, raccoon, a big fluffy tail, like a, yeah, a dog, a, a dog, a really fluffy. <laughs> and, but it is in the dog. I mean, really the only dog part comes that it's in the dog family. Yeah, it's it's you'll find out it's more closely related to foxes, but they are super unique. And what got me too is they're a lot smaller than I thought they were. Sure. For some reason. Yeah. I thought they were bigger just in my head because they're so amazing. And so their their height, they're only up to like twenty four inches at the shoulder mm-hmm. or fifty centimeters. Their length is again twenty eight close, you know, over that two feet, twenty eight inches long, big, or seventy centimeters. Their tail's about another seven inches long. That tail, though. I know. That oh. tail. Oh, it's very fluffy. And then their weights do fluctuate based on season because 
as you can find out, they do some amazing stuff. So in the spring, they're, they're light, uh, you know, six pounds, six to seven pounds or three kilograms in the fall, they'll be up to like 15 to 20 pounds, you know, or seven to 10 kilograms. Yeah. They definitely stock up for wintertime. We'll be talking about that a lot today. Yeah. And it, they're still not that big though. No. I th- I'm thinking dog. I'm thinking like not wolf size, but coyote size, I guess mm-hmm. is kind of what I was thinking, but, but they're not. And that's, I think where no. more of the fox kind of comes in. And then with their colorations is in g- generally speaking, it's a similar color to a North American raccoon with like a, a gray, but there's also some that are dusky brown or yellow brown in color. Uh, mm-hmm. and also they can, sometimes get darker or have a little bit of season variation to their coat as they grow these really big, their guard hairs underneath part Mm -hmm. as they grow these really big, fluffy, fluffy winter coats. And then of course, as they uh, mellow out, shed out and um, with their summer coat. So Mm -hmm. I would, it's almost, I would almost say like no two raccoon dogs or tanukis look exactly alike as far as the coloration, but they all have that darling face uh, with black around the eyes and just, uh, a black nose and a lot of the, sometimes the black goes depending on, uh, depending on where the animal's from. Some of the black goes further down their throat into their shoulders. Some it doesn't as much. They're just darling and black oh, they are. little tip high points on their fur. So I don't know how we, how we missed the boat on this one. Chris. I don't know. And, and I feel so bad because so they're originally from. Asia. So, you know, the, the Eastern part of Asia, Japan, they're very well known. You know, you're going from North Vietnam through China into Russia, you know, parts of Siberia. That's their normal native range. Now, what we're going to talk about here is their introduced range. So I feel bad because all of our listeners in Europe are screaming at us. Like I've known about these my whole life. I know. Right? <laughs> they know because our, they're like, how are li- you guys the experts? Jeez. <laughs> I know our listeners in Germany and Finland and Sweden. We have a great listenership there. They're like, you guys are morons. We should have put a, we should have put a like disclaimer, like just jump to like a minute 10 in this podcast. You know, yes. You yes. Know all, the, all the beginning stuff. Yeah, they know because these things have been introduced to Europe and they are stampeding all the way from France, all the way across into Russia. And then they're doing very well in Finland and Sweden, uh, you know, all through the Balkan states. I mean, they're, that's because they're, doing they're crafty. Quite well. They are crafty. They are they're raccoons that are dogs. They're just, you know, and they're, so their, their native habitat. I mean, they, they, they prefer forests, dense vegetation. Places with, you know, lots of underbrush where they can hide. They like water. They love water. So marshes or near streams. Yeah, they're good swimmers, which, I mean, that that falls in the Canid family. Yeah. So talking about this, why or how they were introduced. And this just made me think of the Burmese python in Florida where, you know, I remember that episode. Not really sure how you get from a tanuki to a Burmese (laughs) python. But you know what, buddy? After all these years, I trust explain. you. I trust you. Explain. So I'm going to, I'll wait. I'll wait for it. I, it, I just clicked in me because in that episode, you and I talked about how we love Burmese pythons in Asia. That's where they belong. That is exactly where they need to be. They are part of the environment and they're suffering. Yeah. They're actually the not world. doing well over there, which is yeah. interesting. But in Florida, they're just bonanza. <laughs> it is. 
It is amazing for them in Florida, they and they're eating, breeding like they're crazy. They're eating up all of our endangered key, key deer and mm-hmm. kites and, yeah. Raccoons. Yeah. I mean, they're eating everything. Yeah. They're eating yeah. everything, and they don't belong there. And so we were – I remember that episode talking about – it really tore up my heart, heartstrings because you go out and you got to kill all these pythons, which is just horrible. But it's just, you know, they're destroying – the native habitat. Right. It's not, it's not being afraid of a Burmese Python with humans. No, it's more of the destruction that they're rampaging across that state or that part of the yeah, world. They eat anything. Yeah. So that's what really I thought of with the raccoon dogs because so what happened was about 80 years ago in 1930s to fifties, the Soviet union released about 9,000 raccoon dogs in the Western part of the country. So they were like letting them go because they wanted to be able to hunt them for fur. Okay. Which is again, a topic of, of, of this one is, is the fur trade and how these poor things are still being farmed for fur, which just, uh, my stomach turns. So they again, being like raccoons, but their dogs are canids. Pretty smart. They, they did awesome. They've just (laughs) done so well that they have completely spread in the last 50 years. Here's a fact, again, that blows me away with these things. They climb trees. Yes. I read Raccoon that. Raccoon dogs and climb trees. That's when I, and I was like, okay, I'm paying attention now. <laughs> yes. This, so, this animal is more than meets the eye. There's a lot of other really cool things going on with it. And, you know, we did raccoons for our Patreon listeners. And, and we did talk about how raccoons were introduced to parts of Asia. Yes. And they're doing extremely well. Well, same thing like, like this. They're so crafty. You said they're, they're omnivores. They eat anything. So the garbage, the whatever they can, they, they can find, they survive off of. You're going to find out about how they survive the winters, but you know, they can lose lots of weight, not eat for a long time. They're doing phenomenal they're doing yeah, and a little really, spoiler really alert good. they're not endangered so. no 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 so they're just i mean that's a that's why this podcast for me is also it's a very dynamic a- animal with the cultural background and from japan but then also as we've seen it spread across europe and but the physiology and the behavior mm. is just incredible and so and the animal's not endangered, probably a lot based no. on its behavior and its cleverness. So it's, it's a, it's a fun story, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a good conservation story. I mean, that's mm-hmm. part of this. And, and I think the part I was going to try to get to is, is just how complicated conservation can be. I did want to say people are using, are keeping them as pets. That's not a good is, idea. No, not a good idea, but. You know, I'm thinking of Pippa in the UK, people in the UK now have them as pets. And there was like in the newspaper, somebody lost theirs and it was like a sign, like lost raccoon dog wandering around. I think it's Cornwall. It's like, so not doing the, you know, the, the environment any favors by importing these wild animals that eventually get loose, like the Burmese python or something like that. If they get established somewhere, they're very hard to eradicate. It also made me think of New Zealand. Mm-hmm. In New Zealand, with all the introduced mammals, you know, the 
the possums from Australia, the weasels and stoats and rats and mice that are just laying destruction or have across New Zealand, all the flightless birds, amphibians, reptiles, everything. New Zealand has a policy where they're trying to eradicate them. So they're out there dropping bait, you know, trying to, to, to kill them. And it, it is con- controversial. You know, people, the Department of Conservation in New Zealand is under attack because there's a, there's a segment of, pe- of people that think just it's too late. Just don't kill animals. Let nature take its course. And I think the majority of New Zealanders are like, ah, no, right. I like my kiwis. I yeah. like my kakapos and my kias and all, all the unique wildlife mm-hmm. of New Zealand, you know, uh, tuataras. So same thing here with raccoon dogs in Europe because this researcher's talking about the devastation in Finland that their, their amphibian population has been wiped out. Ground nesting birds are almost wiped out in Finland because of raccoon dogs. This researcher estimates there's about a million raccoon dogs in Finland. Holy cow. Yeah. It, I read 300,000 okay. from IUCN. So I, I don't know, mm-hmm. but th- there are millions in Europe running around. And this is not where they belong. No, and they're eating whatever they can get their paws on. Yeah. I mean, I love them. They're my new spirit animal. I mean, they're one of them. I just, I (laughs) love this. I love this animal, but they don't belong there. They just don't. And and that's where conservation is just so complicated. It is. It's very tricky. It is because, I mean, some animals, just because maybe they're omnivores or they're crafty and intelligent, they can be successful in a lot of different habitats, mm-hmm. and, but that doesn't make it necessarily right. And when you look at animals that have evolved these unique behaviors and physio- physiological adaptations to be a flightless mm-hmm. bird, that worked mm-hmm. in New Zealand for hundreds and thousands, maybe even millions of years. Right, right. So... When people say like, oh, just let nature take its course. If there's an invasive species, oh, well, I, that, I, I yeah, that once it's hard with me and I, no. and I just think that it's, it's not fair for the indigenous, the, lo- the, the local wildlife pop- population, not only from that one individual, like perspective, like, but how the whole ecosystem is food web. Yeah, exactly. Intertwined. Exactly. Exactly. So if the raccoon dog is preying on these amphibians and there aren't any left or they're, they're really, really endangered, that is driving other species to have issues. I would imagine as we mm-hmm. birds, as we move mm-hmm. up through the food chain and, or other, uh, other carnivores or top predators that are in the area. And then, so you're not, they're not just wiping out the one species that they're eating all the time. They could be potentially putting harm or wiping out several species in the ecosystem because a lot of these food webs are so interconnected. Oh, and it's just not up and down the food web. I mean, think about microorganisms, plants, insects, parasites. That's why the ecosystems are, they just, here's, here's what we're faced with today. Drastic, rapid change. Mm -hmm. And mother earth does not have time to adjust. You know, when the ice age ended and everybody was like, Oh, you know, extinction's normal. You're right. It is. The ice age didn't end in 10 years or in a hundred years. 
it took a few thousand years for it to completely, you know, and, and again, we're not climate scientists, but it, you know, it was, it was a slow change. And even that caused mass extinction sure. or helped contribute to mass extinctions mm-hmm. like the mammoth, saber tooth cat, giant sloth, all these big, big carn- carnivores, big mammals and megafauna. Other yeah. Megafauna. Right. So what we're seeing today around the world, you know, with, with climate change, the Australian fires, the, you know, we, we, it's so crazy in the world today. It, we don't even think about the Australian fires anymore because of this pandemic. Like, I know. I know. Yeah. It's yeah. so unfair. So, I mean, I, obviously, I understand why the news cycles are dominated by the pandemic. But, yeah, it's definitely wildlife in more reasons than one. Our ecosystems in more reason than one are getting kind of neglected. Push to the back page. Yeah. Yeah, back page. So the, the whole point is – Again, this whole story I'm trying to tell with the raccoon dog, I love them. They're amazing. They belong in Asia and not West Asia. They belong in East Asia. Mm -hmm. And so these eradication programs, you know, for our listeners in Europe, you know, I know it's probably pulling at your heartstrings. Like it's, 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 it's a horrible thought of them hunting these things and trapping them and, and euthanizing them, but they, don't belong there. Right. That's just, you know, I'm not trying to let my opinion bleed out. Some other species. Here, here's some interesting ones that I, I have the EU invasive species list. Angie, Egyptian goose. Did you see my, my Instagram post the other day? Yeah. I, yeah. There was one okay. in California. I, I'm so we, you know, where I live, there's a private beach on the lake. So we're able to go down there. You know, all the beaches are closed across the state. It's just, it's, this was a private beach. So I got to go down and just sit and get some sun because I hadn't seen the sun forever, you know, getting out of my little hidey hole. And I saw these two beautiful geese and I'm like, what in the heck? You know, these aren't resident geese, like someone's pets or anything. These are wild geese. And I just, the color coloration threw me for a second. So I took some photos, came back home, looked them up. I was like, what in the heck? And Egyptian goose, I'm like, what are they doing here? And then I looked it up and we have a small population in California, like up to 200. Florida has a population of Egyptian geese. Florida's <laughs> really good at having things that don't belong here. <laughs> Although they, they accepted me with open arms. So I have to. Uh, I was going to say somebody from Michigan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Egyptian goose is in Europe. The New Zealand flatworm, which I thought was funny. Uh, just going through this list, there's a whole bunch. Small Asian mongoose, the North American bullfrog, muntjac deer, hmm. which is crazy. Yeah. Kawadis, muskrats, uh, raccoon dogs. I mean, there's a whole thing. Raccoons, gray squirrel, fox squirrel, chipmunks, sacred ibis. That's a beautiful bird. Uh, Asian hornet. That is one that'll just be like, oh my god, that's like that massive. Oh I yeah. Mm-hmm. I uh, I would I would I would move out of yeah, Europe. Yeah, the, in- the insects. <laughs> is a, yeah, insects is for the entomologist, but that's a whole other yeah, can of worms. Yeah, uh, it's a weird cliche, but I guess uh, talking yeah. about invertebrates. So so yeah. yeah, it's just a few of them. So it just shows you that that even Europe and there's probably a lot more there that. And just on that list, those were the most pressing ones that they had that they're uh, trying to eradicate. Um, you know, it's just a story in, in conservation that you just got to be aware of and you got to make hard choices. It's for the greater good of the ecosystems of Europe Absolutely. to yeah. combat these. And there's different strategies. You just don't have to go out and kill everything. Right, you know, right. Oh, I mean, I think one of the silver linings behind a lot of this is that 
researchers and conservationists and really brilliant minds are turning their attention and trying to study this stuff, A, to prevent it from happening, and B, to figure out solutions to the ongoing stress that these invasive pests are putting on the ecosystem. And so that's not a one size fits all. And they're doing different, they're collecting data about what's the best way to remove them and what's Mm -hmm. the most humane way. And so there's a lot of, I think a a lot more that goes into it and a lot of science that's going into it to hopefully, like I said, help in the future, help reduce this from happening so people can learn from it. And uh, yeah, I think, that's for me, that's what makes it all worthwhile. Like, okay, if we have to kill these Burmese, Burmese pythons in Florida, you know, are we learning mm-hmm. something from it or mm-hmm. are we doing mm-hmm. it? Like I know researchers in Florida with, I think I mentioned in the Burmese Python episode is that they're actually tagging, they're catching up males and then the Judas. Yes. <laughs> they're doing this with raccoon dogs too. Mm-hmm. They, ju- they catch up the, the Judas males, raccoon dog. Yeah. And they, they, Ta- they chip them or tag them or whatever so they can find them again. And then the males release them, it release them to the females. And then they can basically take a whole clutch of eggs. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. instead of killing live, you know, big, whatever, how many feet snake, you're able to just remove the eggs from even hatching in the first place. And so, so there's different strategies using science and and that i have to at least like appreciate and it's not just all this you know make the poor animals suffer type thing no well i think that you know leads into part of you know again that's my story of why care like why care about them they need to be protected and revered in their native habitat Mm -hmm. and i do care what's going on in europe because it's not just I love these animals and, and I want to, you know, I want to see them live and be happy, but I, we just have to stay aware of, of these invasive species and their impacts. So absolutely because the raccoon dog or the tanuki in their native home range in Eastern Asia, they have a great role in the ecosystem where they live and where they've evolved for hundreds of thousands, millions of years. They're responsible for controlling insects and rodent populations. And, because where they evolved, there's a lot of food for them to eat. They're considered an omnivore, but they're also considered a generalist. So when we talk about nutrition and what animals eat, a lot of times there's what we call specialists, where the animal will only eat this type of meat or this meat or this plant. Uh, but when you're a generalist, it's kind of like me. I'll graze on pretty much anything you put in front of me. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm not super picky. Yes. And where tanukis evolved, they don't really have a big effect on any one species on in the ecosystem on a large scale because they're a generalist. And so they do really well helping keep the populations balanced and happy and living in harmony where their native habitat is. So... And then, of course, too, I think from more of a human perspective, uh, especially from uh, looking at the culture from Japan, they're just really, really adored and they're really uh, steeped in Japanese culture and folklore and tradition. So as an American, I, I mean, I that's why I'm drawn to the bald eagle. And Chris and I just did an episode on uh, the bald eagle not too long ago. And mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun for us because it's something that we just 
is our national symbol and it has a, a really cool conservation story. So the Tanuki or the raccoon dog, as we call it here in America or North America is really important to the Japanese culture. And so that alone, I mean, and how can that be? It's so darn cute, but I think that alone is reason why people should be more familiar with this creature and care about it and want it to live a happy, healthy life in its native range. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And their evolution's interesting. It's, you know, it, it is a, a dog or canid, you know, dog fox family. The species name. All right. I was going to say, this is why you get paid the big bucks, which is nothing, but still. Uh, All right. It's rough. Nice. Yeah. Nice tether roots. Not, oh my god! I just had this no. vision for a, a funny like outtake bloopers of just you pronouncing <laughs> all of the Latin names. <laughs> uh, I mean, I can, it's easy for me to say because I barely do it because I'm I'm just like a chicken at doing it. I pronounce enough words uh, for anybody who's listened to this podcast for a long time. I pronounce enough words wrong that I always let Chris have the benefit of pronouncing the Latin names wrong. <laughs> this is nice terroots, prosionoids. Prosinoids. Nice terroots prosinoids. There you go. That's that's the best I can do. I think you did. And it's probably it's probably way off. (laughs) (laughs) Who's gonna check it though, right? I know, I know. Um so there but what's interesting is there is five subspecies of this. Right, which is why if you just go to Google image or something, there's you'll see ones that look a little different and they're like, well, why mm-hmm. does this one have more brown on it? And why does this one um, have a more distinguished uh, bandit mask on its face? So, but yeah, that's because there's these different subspecies. Yeah. Yeah. So of the five, there's Chinese raccoon dog. That's in Eastern China. The Korean raccoon dog, which is in the Korean peninsula. The Yunnan raccoon dog, which is the one in Southeast China and North Vietnam. Usuri raccoon dog is the Russian, China, and the one that's in Europe. And then you have the Japanese raccoon dog, which is just in Japan. Yeah, it's that just, might be the cutest one, I think. I might, have, I I might be a little biased towards the Japanese raccoon dog. Uh, the yeah, Korean's yeah. pretty cute. They're all, I mean, they're all cute. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't get me wrong. But the, they're just the, the puff balls. They're just, uh, they're, they're winter coats. Uh, canid evolution covered this quite a bit. You know, the myocids, which gave rise to bears, mustelids, pinnipeds, uh, about 40 million years ago in North America. You know, one of the, the canids are one of the most ancient of the carnivores. So they, they came up like that 35, 40 million years ago is when they emerged from the myocids. The, what was interesting is they all did evolve here in the Americas, but then once that land bridge over the Bering Strait was formed, they flushed into Asia. Okay. Mm-hmm. That was about seven, eight million years ago. Wow. That's... Now, I know, I know, it's so crazy long. because there's the raccoon dogs is so interesting because the canids just exploded across Asia into Europe, down into Africa. Mm-hmm. You know, we know we have wolf species in Africa, you know, the, the African painted dog. Then we have, you had wolves in England sure. all the way the Western side, but the raccoon dog just found a great place 
to to go. So these early canids, they were they really were they kind of had like this long snout, and they just they they need lots of carcasses. Mm-hmm. So when Asia opened up, it was just like, are you kidding me? This all. is paradise. Yeah. yeah, paradise for them. You had mammoths. You had all sorts of stuff that they could eat, and so they just took off and did really well. The raccoon dog just came across and said, "Hey, this is perfect. I'm I'm parking it right here." Oh yeah, and. So Northeast Siberia, Korea, Japan, that's when it came across. I mean, they were there way before people came to Japan and they just were well adjusted to this climate that gets really harsh in the winter and then really nice in the summer. Mm -hmm. So they just, they, they were, they were great. So over time they developed to be able to withstand, I mean, the temperatures uh, between 30 Celsius, degrees Celsius, which is, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. It's warm, quite warm to minus 50 degrees Celsius. That is an insane temperature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, did it ever get that cold in Michigan? I don't know. It's like, no, I don't think so. I, I, I I will never forget the days working in Chicago as a zookeeper. And, uh, it would get, I don't know Celsius. So Fahrenheit, right. it, It would be minus 10 or 12 or 15 below zero without no. the wind chill. And, no, and then there, no. so I'd be driving into work at whatever, t- very, very early in the morning before the sun rose. And on the radio station, they, they, there would be warnings like, don't go outside unless you have to. <laughs> and you and had I to. was like, well, yes, I need to take care because the zoo had uh, animals that were acclimated from, Oh yeah. Cold climates and they loved it. Oh my gosh. The Bactrian yeah. camels, they were like, let's go out and play. The Sichuan talking were happy, yeah. happy as, uh, as you know, clams out there. And so, but anyways, I all just, yeah, my job required me carrying a blowtorch to open some of the oh. metal doors and gates. Oh, no, like no, yeah. no, no. Yeah. Dedication, those yes. animals. So, they love you. Uh, but anyways, so, but I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't think it was quite that cool. And that, those were rare, rare winter days, one yeah. or two a season. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, we do a lot for the animals we love. So yeah. And raccoon dogs are, are fine. They're just like, yeah, yes. yeah, whatever. Well, whatever. and I, it's yeah. interesting that, uh, we're talking a little bit about zoos right now because, I'm so in love with these tanukis. Uh and I found that there is an, a zoo in North America I know. that houses them. Or actually there's two. There's one in Mexico. Um so yay Mexico. And then in the United States, uh Zoo Atlanta. I'm going. Next time I go to Atlanta, I'm going. Yeah, I'm well, going. Yeah, your sister's there. So I know, yeah. You will have to you can maybe do some TikTok raccoon videos cuz that would be amazing. I will. That'd be amazing. I'm I'm going. And to see these let me know cuz I'm only 5 hours from Atlanta and so I've been yeah. I have been it's been on my bucket list for probably about a year now to take the kids to the aquarium there because I've yeah. been yeah. <laughs> a couple times but my boys haven't been and uh they're really into sea creatures right now cuz who isn't cuz the ocean's awesome especially Zachy he's just dolphin this sea turtle that jellyfish uh Xander actually made a book the other day where he was listing his favorite animals and drawing them and now he's starting to write and it was so funny cuz he's doing all these he's like dog cat Actually, cat first, and a dog, and squirrels, mm-hmm. and lizards—kind of some normal things. And then he's yeah. showing it to me. He's like, "He's like, mom, you. This is really going to surprise you. 
And it was like lemon shark. And I'm like, yeah, how do you know what that is? I know. And then he's like, okay, this one is going to, is shocking. And and he he listed up, Chris, it was coral. Oh, wow. I know. Wow. I'm like, how did you even know that that's even a sea animal? Yeah. So uh, we have to do coral. I know some of us have been asking for it. I'm a little bit nervous because it's really out of my comfort zone. But that's this whole podcast has been somewhat out of my comfort zone. Initially, when you brought it to me, I think my first first reaction was like, no. Yeah, I'm busy. I'm trying to graduate. I'm I'm trying to get a PhD. (laughs) I'm glad I said yes, though. Say yes to the podcast, right? For sure. Yeah. Oh, we've learned so much. It's just, it's amazing. Okay. So do you think raccoon dogs are closer to, say, wolves and coyotes or foxes? Just by looking at them, their size and their nose, I think I would say foxes. Yeah, good job. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They're really close to foxes. Probably split, like I said, that seven million years ago sure. where they went down that line to form raccoon dogs. And then you had the Arctic fox, you know, all of them red That's fox, interesting. Fox. I wonder why us Americans didn't call them raccoon foxes. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. But yeah, they're, they're more closely related to dogs. I mean, the dogs was like 10 million years mm-hmm. ago when they were even close. So that's just looking at genetics. I'm looking at a phylogenetic tree uh, with, with that. Uh, just really quickly too, just to wrap this up with them, you know, at the end of the earth's last ice age. So the raccoon dogs kind of got separated as sea levels rose. Right. And so those bridges to Japan got kind of shut off. And so then you had the Japanese population and then the mainland Asian population. So again, genetics, looking at some of that, you know, they kind of separated out with that. Uh, Real test, Angie. Real final question. Ooh, I like this. The smallest canid ever. Ah, Chris, you're going to screw up my batting average. I've been doing so good uh-huh. tonight. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, ever or current? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, they don't have a small one from the ice age, so oh. one that's a current, but it's supposed Bat to be the smallest fox ever. or a. a- Close. Uh, something. Close. It's not Close. a. It's not a pygmy. Is it a pygmy fox? No. A bat nose. Epi- White episode one hundred six. Episode one hundred six. Oh, um, Fennec fox. Yes, the fantastic Fennec fox. Yeah. Episode okay. one hundred six. They're they're actually the smallest canid. Okay. So. Oh, and they are. Shout out. Talk about darling. Oh God! Shout out to Madison at LA Zoo who you know. Um, showed me and, and walked me around and I got to see their fennec fox and I just I, I uh, you gotta love them uh but they're you know body length 16 inches long way up to three pounds they're tiny darling, tiny tiny darling. tiny so there you go because we've done the largest wolf thing that's like the size of a buffalo sure. like yeah. <laughs> this was like 30 million years ago 20 million years ago whatever it was um all right uh these raccoon dogs in, in the wild live like five to seven years. Life is hard out yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The wild's tough. Under human care, they can live up to be 14. Okay. So almost double that. Oh, so like, yeah. you know. Yeah. Some dogs. Dog are, years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dog years. Uh, they, he's going to talk a lot about their behavior, but they do grow those big winter coats. So they, they look do. super poofy. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's, it's basically considered like a molt because that's why mm-hmm. they can look different depending on what season you capture a photo of them. Uh, because they have this, you know, 
in the winter time to keep them warm and they just have this thick, dense undercoat, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the summer between July and October, they'll go through what's considered a molt, which we often think of molt for birds, but it mm-hmm. also can use that, that word for mammals as well. And they get their uh, summer dress or their summer pillage going, pillage. And then, and as the weather starts to turn, usually in September and October, that undercoat starts ramping up again. And so those are the pictures that Chris and I love the most when they're just these poof balls. Poofy. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> it's just, oh my gosh, we'll put some cute pictures on our show notes where they're just to die for. And so, yeah, it's a big part of their physiology because it's, it's all well and good to, be warm in the wintertime, which is really important for them. But mm-hmm. summers get warm too over in um, Eastern Asia as well. So especially depending on which actual part they live in. So you got to, mm-hmm. you have to molt that, that coat and uh, let the under, the under, undercoat go the poofy part. So, and I, I was lucky enough many years ago to rescue a Siberian Husky. So mm-hmm. I think this would probably be 10 times as worse than that. That's why when people talk yes. about keeping these guys as a pet, I'm like, you're insane. The Husky yeah. hair was crazy enough to deal with. Uh, so I couldn't imagine. Um, I couldn't imagine. Wrecking dog. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. They just, uh, they, they did too. And they, you know, uh, we'll get to the, the fur at the yes. end, but you know, they do have a Yeah, coats. it's one of these things too is what makes them beautiful also makes them It's like chinchillas. Yeah. Like those poor little chinchillas, like just so amazing. All right. Also, you know, so their claws, they have these curt claws, so like I said, they can climb up trees. Amazing. And they'll go. Mm-hmm. I know, I know. This this fox dog raccoon climbing trees to get berries and stuff. They do eat Everything. I mean, insects, rodents, amphibians, birds, eggs. We've talked about that. They will fish with their claws and try to get like crayfish or something in there to eat. They will dive underwater. So they eat mollusks. They, they eat snakes, crabs, sea carrion. They'll, they're omnivores. They're so they like salad. Yeah. They're generalists. Yeah, roots. They're, they're, yes. Fruits. They're seeds, not scared to they, try garbage. You know, they're not scared to try something new. That's for sure. No, and garbage. They love human garbage. They absolutely do. I think in Japan, that's what drives people nuts is they do get into garbage mm-hmm. like our raccoons sure, here in course. the United States. You know, they eat everything, everything. So there you go. Now, what eats them depends where they live, but wolves, lynx, Wolverines. Here's here's some other things we got to cover. Lynx, it's so Wolverines. funny. Well, I today for some reason I was like, I want to do a Wolverine. Uh, yes. Yeah, yes, I do. Another tough critter. Yeah. Yeah, we have to. We have to. Uh, golden eagles, sea eagles, eagle owls, domestic dogs all eat or hunt these poor little raccoon dogs. <laughs> it's all part <laughs> just, of the circle of life. That's what I just thought. Circle of life. Yeah. All right, so that's raccoon dog, a little bit of physiology, uh, some of the behaviors. I mean, I think there's some stuff that's just so surprising. Yes, and before we jump into it, though, I actually have a quiz question for you. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. So I know once in a while, not that you really have any much time off, but when you do, you you like to do a little video game gaming. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So. Super Mario 3. Oh, you're so. 
I'm not even good at framing the question. <laughs> it's so funny. He fits on the he fits on the raccoon suit. He does. Well, no, it's called the tanuki yes. suit. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think oh, okay. I'm pretty sure. I yeah, Mar- yeah, it's yeah. called tanuki suit, I believe. Now that yeah. would need to be super fat fact checked. But it's, and he swirls his tail and he knocks all the uh, tur- turtles and stuff off. That's so tortoises. funny, Chris, because I, of course, played video games when I was a kid. And I definitely played Super Mario Brothers 1. I might have even gotten into 2. But by then, by by the time 3 came out, I just wasn't – I didn't have the time for video games much anymore. Or interest, I should say. I think I started playing guitar and trying to write a novel or something like that. Thank so, you, thank you. Kidding. And I'm a dork that you, plays. Well, video you've games actually like you've actually written a book before, so no, you. That's true. Uh, yeah, I do. Um, uh, different, you know, different strokes for different folks. But I know, so I, know. I did not recognize the but the Tanuki from Super Mario Bros. Three, and I definitely don't know about the tail spinning thing, which makes a lot of sense. So I now kind of want to go back and revisit it. Like it's it's just this. This podcast is so full cute. circle. It's really funny. It's so cute. It's so cute. Yeah. It's so cute. But yes, uh, so that was their be- that's some of their behavior on the video mm-hmm. game. But in real life, similar to our North American raccoons, they're often nocturnal. But depending on where they live, uh, there have been some studies showing that they can be active at dusk and dawn or have crepuscular activity. And a lot of that's probably just them needing to find all of these small creatures and things to, to eat. So mm-hmm. they're busy at nighttime and they will wander and search for food a lot and they'll just gobble up everything that they find. And I even saw them classified in some of the literature as collectors and gatherers. I thought that was really interesting mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. of uh, the way that they, you know, they, they, like you said, they'll dive down and get mollusks or, you know, they're just not, they're not, they're not picky. The raccoons. Yeah, right. Exactly. That are dogs. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, they do the same stuff. It's crazy. It's crazy. And so from a social point of view, cause I always, I love studying uh, species and whether or not they are more solitary or social, but Studies have shown that they do typically live and hunt in small family groups. But when they're sighted by humans, they're usually solitary. So we talked a little bit about this uh, on our Patreon episode for raccoons. And and so there was there was similar things like that too, where oh I feel like I always see raccoons with a family like well with a whole bunch of them, but they're right. really solitary. But diving mm-hmm. deeper in liter- literature was more uh, moms and babies, which then grew into juveniles. So there probably needs to be a little bit more research to tweak out exactly how many is in a family group, and is it really just a mom and the juvenile pups, or right, is it right. a mom, dad, sister, brother, cousin kind of thing? Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But in general, yes. Yeah, so in general, smaller groups, and they do like to either sleep or rest in pairs. They'd like to have contact with one another. They will do a lot of social grooming. That's where you scratch my back, I scratch your back at the same time kind of thing. You and I see that a lot frequently in horses. Uh and I guess that behavior has also been seen in other types of foxes. And lastly, one of the things that researchers are still trying to figure out is when they are bonded uh, or when they're seen together, like does it last for years and years and years or mm-hmm. is it more of a, like I said, mother and pup thing or mm-hmm. a, a breed-related thing? So still some, still some things to uncover about these beauties. They... Yeah, because I'm okay. 
So one of the things is that they do that no other canid does, right, is hibernate. Sure. Yes. If you're listening at home, put your seatbelt on, folks. Yeah. This is cray-cray. This is crazy. Tell us about that because I'm trying to think, do they, you know, is it like bears? Because when bears have their their babies, it's when they're in their dens and then, you know, they nurse and get bigger and then they come out in spring. Yeah, Chris, I'm so excited to talk about this because it's super unique. Is that raccoon dogs or tanukis are the only in the Canid or, or Canidae family that hibernates in the winter. Foxes don't do it. Wolves don't do it. So, I mean, it's pretty unique and pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. It, and it, it makes a lot of physiological sense because, well, it gets cold where their native range is. And what else better to do than to go and take a long winter's yeah. nap, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's quite spectacular, though, from a physiological point of view. And so what these guys do before winter, revving up for it, is they go from pre-holiday season, think of yourself midsummer, that, that bikini body, to pretty much as big as they can possibly get. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the weights are huge. They're definitely gobbling up everything in sight, and they put on weight so that about 25% of their body mass is subcutaneous fat, adipose tissue, which would not be a very good BMI for you and I. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, 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 no. had that. And so they gear up for mm. it and they just, like I said, they it's like Thanksgiving and Christmas all basically in September and October, right? They're just gearing up for this eating, 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 and their body knows to store all this reserve is fat. And what will happen is they go into this hibernation or this winter's nap. Their metabolism completely slows down. And some research has shown that it basically goes, their metabolism or their their resting metabolic rate goes 25% below their normal rate. So... Their temperature, their overall body temperature will decrease slightly, um, not as much as other animals that hibernate. And they will have periods of arousal where they will wake up and maybe have a little bit of a drink and or perhaps a small intake of food. But overall, they're, they're resting during the winter's months of basically like November, December, January, and February somewhere somewhere mm-hmm. in there depending once again on how harsh the winter is. And during this time, all that weight that they all that fat that they stored up is of course used as an energy reserve, but with a lower met- metabolic rate, they don't need as much. So right, right. and it's pretty fun I dorked out on this uh study about raccoon dogs and their plasma leptin and thyroxin levels, which both of those are hormones. Leptin is a hormone that basically makes you Mm -hmm. feel like you're satisfied, like you're not hungry. And thyroxin is a hormone involved with metabolism. So really key hormones that researchers are always trying to study and understand more about, especially in this epidemic of obesity here in uh, North Mm -hmm. America. Mm -hmm. So 
anyways, it was cool because uh, the study that they were doing is they were measuring different levels of raccoon dogs and then also uh, Arctic foxes and just seeing how they were different and how they changed when they were in and out of hibernation and trying to understand the way that the hormones change when you're in a fasting state because the hibernation is very similar to a fasting state. Now, humans only do it for a small period of time in general, right, depending right. on if they're right. trying any of these trendy diets or depending on their religious beliefs and things like that. But it is, it is quite interesting to learn about how these hormones change and help control fat reserves, metabolism, basically the, the secret key to <laughs> the million dollar pill or something that will yeah, I know, I know. lose weight, right? Uh, so, yeah, but yeah, these animals do it naturally. And then once, when they emerge from their hibernation, they are a lot lean, but they're not underweight and they're back to business. And so it was interesting. I, uh, saw some research calling it toper as well. So that was one of my other mm -hmm. questions for you. Do you know the difference between hibernation and toper? Well, you've done toper before. Yeah. I mean, even hummingbirds each night go into toper. Mm -hmm which is a, a shorter term, like mini hibernation oh, so versus smart, Chris. long term. Yes. You taught me this okay. stuff. You taught me. <laughs> you have a good memory. I, uh, I had to actually relook uh, it up myself. <laughs> oh, yeah. really? Yeah. No, I have no. such mom brain. I'm like, as a typical scientist or studying science, like I always want to say things right. And for, for people listening. And so yeah. I was like, Oh my gosh, yeah. what's the difference yeah. between toper and hibernation? Why are some paper papers calling it hibernation? And why are some calling it toper? So mm -hmm. yeah, toper mm -hmm. is like the short, shorter version and hibernate, uh, hibernation is more of a long day after day where the bout of the metabolism being down and the temperature being down and burning bodily reserves is on a 24 hour period day after day versus mm -hmm. topor, which might be similar physiologically speaking, but only a three to 12 hour window and then bam, they're back up. So I mm -hmm, think mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. for raccoon dogs, my, my conclusion was I think hibernation's a little bit better, more accurate word to, word to use than toper or yeah, yeah. Or people are like this one paper, I think said extended toper. So. Well, and I mean, maybe the ones in Vietnam and Southeast China, cause it doesn't really get that cold in winter, maybe. Do yeah, exactly. I think yeah, it's not I mean, a one size fits all type hibernation. It no. really depends on how cold no. it is and what's happening mm -hmm. um, where, where the Snooki lives. Now we opened up with their calls. They don't bark or they don't. How? Okay, yeah. So let's back up the bus. Right, 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 yeah. right, 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 right. Yeah, okay. Like right, 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 the whole right. theme of this podcast is the raccoon dogs. They're in the dog family, more or less, but they don't. There's several things they do that are not like dogs. Climb no, trees, know. number one. That's <laughs> crazy. I mean, hibernate, number two. So mm -hmm. number three, they don't bark. No. Instead, no. they can growl, whine, yelp, sing. Some even say mew like a cat. So they have a ton of their own vocal communi vocal communications, which we opened up with the podcast because that was like a singing, a singing tanuki, a raccoon dog. It doesn't really get any better than that. And so, but yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll use their vocalizations to let the other raccoon dog that they're hanging out with know how they feel, uh, let their pups know how they feel. The pups will communicate the moms when they're hungry. So, I mean, definitely a, a, a pretty, pretty astute vocal repertoire, similar to 
to other d- species of dogs. Uh, but, um, they also, of course, use a lot of visual cues. So body postures, uh, you know, that mean something. Some of them might be more subtle to us. We might not notice, but another, another raccoon dog is like, oh, that arched, slightly arched back means something or that tail. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. We know with our own dogs at home that tail position is really indicative of how a, our, our dog, our companion dogs feel. And I think that it's probably somewhat similar in raccoon dogs, just maybe not as well studied. Right. And of course, being part of the Canid family, the tactile communication, the touching, the the mutual grooming, as I mentioned before, the snuggling, uh, and some of the literature says they even hibernate together. So, I mean, that's pretty cool and unique. And then the parents and offsprings we're going to talk about here in a second have a really, really close niche bond. And it's very important for them to just uh, hang out together and groom each other and love on each other. Yeah, yeah. They're very supportive the dads. I knew you would like this. Yeah. You were so cute. You were texting me like early this morning and like, I'm so excited for this podcast tonight. <laughs> I I went down a lot of fun rabbit holes. It's going to be yeah, great. Yeah. And it is great. It's always great. But it's, uh, you were, you're definitely more excited. And when I, when I started looking over some of the parenting, I was like, Oh yeah, that's probably why <laughs> it is. They're amazing dads, aren't they? Yes, Chris, they are. Well, and they're just amazing creatures for so many reasons. And their reproduction and breeding behavior is also really cool. So they are typically seasonal breeders. And that means they will, the female will only come into estrus or be receptive to a male for a few weeks. And, mm-hmm. and so what that means is females will come into heat, which we're familiar with our own companion dogs or estrus. Uh, once a year after hibernation and under human care, research has shown that the estrus lasts three to five days. Uh, but of course there's still some data missing from, uh, their wild count- counterparts as far as, is it only three to five days or is it potentially a few weeks? But Chris, what's really, really cool is when a male and female do get together and breed, that they're monogamous to each other, definitely for that breeding season. And that's where the the parenting comes in from the male, which we'll talk about here in a second. But certain studies out of Finland, which we know they're not supposed to be living there, but these studies suggest that they might be monogamous for multiple years. Okay. Come back. So, yeah. So there's, but of course there's like more research needed. And now when male and female do meet and like each other. Um, the female, of course, is, is letting off some scent marking to show that she's an estrus. Her tail position, her body position is uh, showing that she's receptive. The, there might be some other males that she's potentially attracted to, mm-hmm. uh, younger males or things like that. And they and sometimes the males will fight, but it's very briefly and it's not fatal. And in general, they're just kind of peaceful creatures and there's not you know these big knockdown drag outs like you see in some mm. other um a candid family uh members right and they get together and when a female gets pregnant she her gestation period is going to be about 59 to 64 days and she'll give birth in either vegetation or a nice burrow uh they they actually prefer fox or badger burrows uh, so they'll they'll reuse those which is kind of nice recycling right 
And now, Chris, this is one of my favorite behaviors that they do. When the female is heavily pregnant, the male, of course, is still by her side, right? Because they're now this monogamous mm-hmm. pair. Mm-hmm. He brings her food. Yep. Whatever her yep. little heart desires those last week or two of pregnancy. If she wants a crab, done. If she wants some <laughs> nuts and berries, done. If she's, cra- plus, if she's craving yeah. some ice cream trash... <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring it, baby. Yeah, so <laughs> ice cream cone, yeah, whatever, some dairy from the trash. I mean, <laughs> he brings it to her and feeds her, and I just love that. They made me fall in love with them. That's super uh, sweet. Uh, my uh, husband uh. was very good. I, um, with my firstborn, it was frozen yogurt. So at nine to ten o'clock at night, he'd be doing these fro yo runs. And uh, with my second, I was. I did. My craving was were actually it was more for falafel. This amazing falafel. Yeah, sandwich. I think you ever say, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that was more of a lunchtime thing. So he kind of he kind of got off the hook on the second one with running late at night to get me food. But uh, he was still good about massaging my feet. So. He's like, hold on, honey, I gotta go to the garbage can. I'll be right back. Yeah, totally. He's like, well, <laughs> let's see. We have some old pasta noodles from three weeks ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the oh, second God. kid, you know, everything gets a little uh, less uh, romantic. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, mm-hmm. yeah, that's because he was wrangling a top when I was pregnant with the second one. So that, true, that was his, true. that was his job. But yeah, true. but now this is something I cannot relate to. Guess how many pups they have. It's more than one. I'll give you that hint. I, I mean, in all honesty, maybe four. Okay. Like a fox. Like I'm trying to think of like a litter of, of like wolf pups. Like they can have. Well, finally, Doctor Mortensen five, strikes five, out for the first time this 20? podcast. <laughs> oh, stop it! No, you made so on average five to seven. Okay. The highest reported was nineteen. Jeez, no, what? <laughs> God. Like I said, I cannot relate to a tanuki <laughs> when it comes to popping out babies. 20? I'm one at a time. Oh my god! And I'm two. No wonder why they think there's millions done, all so. over Finland. Oh my gosh! Right. Exactly. So, that's but now crazy. five to seven is average. Okay. So that's, okay. that's average. But we, you and I are scientists. You know that bell curve mm-hmm. can go mm-hmm. up to 19, mm-hmm. I guess, which is crazy. So bless their hearts. Um, I get, I, you know what? I guess that dad fed her real good. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I <laughs> know. All that garbage mm-hmm. ice cream. Anyways. And so, but pups typical to your, your own dog at home. Pups are born like blind and have soft black fur and they're teensy tiny from 60 to 115 grams, depending on the subspecies. And they'll open their eyes between the ninth and tenth day. Typically, they're weaned around age thirty to forty days. But during this time, the male has a really big role. He will babysit the pups. He, while the female hunts, hunts for food, he'll also hunt why she babysits. So they're like a very modern family, right? There's no discrimination going on Mm -hmm, there, right? mm -hmm. Everybody gets to do every job equally. Sounds a lot like my house, so I can relate to him on that. Uh, And now around four months old, the pups begin to learn how to hunt, watching their parents. So watching mom, watching dad. And I mean, it's the way, since they're such generalists, the way that they gather food and all different types of food from climbing trees for nuts and berries all the way to diving underwater for clams, as you mentioned. Yeah, I know. So they have a lot, they have a lot to learn. And I think, I don't know, from an evolutionary point of view, that's probably why dad sticks around to protect them, but then also to maybe help teach them how to hunt. Uh, so yeah, they'll, they'll hang out as a family and hunt 
for several months together. And then basically at four to five, six months old, they're considered independent and they'll kind of go off on their own. And around nine to 11 months is when they reach sexual maturity. So we're talking about a very quick generation right, interval. Right. That's how they're, yeah. much, much different than Bonobos. the bonobo Bonobos, that we yeah. covered last week. Right. And so I think that it makes sense why they do so well where they go. They can eat anything and they, they are basically an R selected species. So in, in ecology, there's R selected versus K selected species and they have a lot of different, it's a category that scientists put them into to talk about them. But in general, R selected are like rabbits and have a quick generation in a interval. Don't live that long where K selected is going to be like an elephant mm-hmm. or a human live a long time, slow generation interval, put a lot of investment in the offspring for many years. So yes, the R selected does well. And, um, but I really have a newfound appreciation for them as far as how much postnatal care the father gives. I think there's a lot of uh, dog or canid species where, of course, the mom does. Yeah. But we don't always see a lot, a lot of involvement with the dad. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, male raccoons support the females. Yep. I love it. <laughs> we love our raccoons. Modern dogs. day. Told you he's my spirit yeah. animal. <laughs> I totally totally yes uh, i can almost picture you putting that tanuki suit on oh, yeah. taking care of your kids oh, yeah. folding the laundry yep. yeah you're always so funny you're always like the, just the best like cooker cleaner folding laundry and i i was always just so impressed that you would have all of that done within the first couple hours of being awake when you were in uh in charge of caring for your kids yep. where i was like huh I'm on my second cup of coffee and I haven't even brushed my teeth yet. <laughs> it was a busy day. I had to go pick them up from school and get dinner ready and all that fun I know. Stuff. Well, you're yeah. an amazing pair. Yeah, so well, yeah, I you. can, uh, but so, but yeah, just they're, they're a lot of fun and, uh, I, I need more of the raccoon dog in my life. I know. That's for sure. I know. I know. And you know, with that, they are least concerned as we talked about uh, invasive species in Europe, but there are protections in place in Japan. To protect them. Excellent. So mm-hmm. they, you know, they do protect them. But again, they, you know, where their native habitat is in Asia, I mean, they, they are under threat, you know, with deforestation and things like that. So, you know, but they're doing okay there. Where I it just broke my heart is in researching these guys, there are a lot of farms in China mm-hmm. that are really raising them for fur. And that's it. And then, you know, they live in these tiny, you know, everything coming out of China, you know, with all this pandemic and everything, just there's one more thing where these things are kept, these poor creatures are kept in small cages and then slaughtered just for their fur. And so that kind of led me to my conservation tip of the week where, you know, I, I think most of our listeners, if not all, don't wear real animal fur or wouldn't, you know, it's just something they, a choice they made that, you know, it's out of fashion. Real animal sure. fur is way out of fashion. There's still some celebrities wearing fur. It just, you know, kind of grates my ugh, whatever. Hopefully they'll start making better choices yes, with their, yes. especially with their, uh, their, the amount of fame they have. Yeah. I know. And Instagram and stuff like that. But faux fur is like the new thing. Like, Oh, let me wear a fake fur. Well, first let me tell you there's some problems with that. One a lot of that fake fur may be real fur and like raccoon dog fur. 
that China sells it, the companies make it, and they slap a label on, oh, this is fa fur, when it's not. It's actually real animal well, fur. That's, I was reading about that Kohl's, which is a, a department store chain here in North America. Uh, as recent as 2014, they were advertising as, as fake fur, mm-hmm. but it turns out it's actually raccoon dog fur, and something similar happened mm-hmm. in, to Macy's, like mm-hmm. our beloved Macy's, which is one of our just like, you know, huge yeah. national department stores. And with Macy's, it was back in 2006. And so I'm sure since then, those big stores obviously Maybe, have yeah. done more to stop that because yeah. I, I think they know that a lot of their audience, their, their shoppers, their, their customers don't want that. And that was kind of a, a bad mark on, them. on their reputation. Yeah. So. But yeah, but my lesson learned, and I did not know this until researching this podcast, is that yes, it's not, you can't always assume this because it says fake fur that's actually fake. Yeah, it's not. It, 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 it can be. Or if it is actual faux fur, the other problem is, is it sheds microfibers like crazy. So, right. So when we talk about environmental impact, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's no good. They shed all of these microfibers that are washed down our drains that go out into the oceans where the fish or even our streams, the fish will eat it. And then we in turn catch the fish and eat that in our diets. And so it's dumping a lot of microfibers and plastics into the ocean. So well. Yeah. And that's why I love this podcast. I really, I mean, I know for me, my journey throughout this podcast and hopefully for you, Chris, and maybe for some of our listeners, it is like an evolution Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. learning and growth because a few episodes, not that long ago, we talked about chinchillas Mm -hmm. and how they're part of the fur trade and in the United States, we're trying to knock that off by 2020 and things like that. But I was more like, okay, just wear, just wear fake fur. Like if you think you have to have it for fashion, uh, and obviously throughout like this current podcast, doing more research into it, I'm like, now I'm like, no, no, okay, yeah. <laughs> change my mind. <laughs> so, and that's okay. Like, so yeah. I, like that's what research all is all about, right? And learning yeah. and sharing and things like that. And so, uh, yeah, I just, there's, yeah, you gotta, you gotta do your homework and, yeah. and, and sometimes if people are mislabeling things to be sketchy, just, it's just better to stay away from the right. product, especially right. It'd be one thing if it was like something super necessary, mm-hmm. like it, to that you had to have to keep warm mm-hmm. because you lived in a very cold region. Mm-hmm. But now they make polar fleece mm-hmm. and other things that like you don't need that that fake fur look yeah. to be stylish. They have a lot of other other options to keep you warm, and a lot of there's other styles out there. So right, yeah. It's just, it's interesting. I just had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, a, it was an eye opener. And then talking about, yeah. And then, and then even if it is a hundred percent for sure, like fake fur, fake fur, as you mentioned, you know, trying to reduce our plastic consumptions or degradations yeah. or thinking of our oceans, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is that really the best choice? Yeah. And I'm also hopeful that with this pandemic, it's, I don't think it's going to be like, Oh, we're going to get over it. I think it's going to be like, well, how do we continue after right, it? Right. And that's kind of the question I know John and I are talking about and several of my close friends. And I think my hope is that you, you learn that you can live a simpler lifestyle and that less can be more that right. quality time home with a family playing board games is better than, you know, going out and 
yeah. buying all these wasteful products and polluting things. And of course there's a place for that. I mean, I'm not saying don't ever do that, but I know from my own wardrobe at home, I've realized I actually wear the same like four things every, I know. Like, every week, <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's fine. Like yeah. it doesn't matter. Like it's yeah. just, it doesn't, it's better than going out and buying new stuff that I don't need. Well, so you talked about this in another pod, the fast fashion. It was like a trend where it's like you buy these clothes yeah. and they degrade. They're really cheap. You wear them and then you throw them away. Mm-hmm. So I have a good app for you and it's, it's good on you app that you can download. Okay. And it's almost like the, the palm oil app that the uh, Cheyenne okay. Mountain Zoo does. It, mm-hmm. it helps you decide on what garments to buy that are sustainable and ethical. <gasps> I love so, it. Can you put it on the show yes, notes, please? It's a good on you app. So when you're out shopping, you can look and it's Chris, it, I can always trust you for my fashion. And that's why we're, <laughs> you're one of my dear friends. Well, and the whole thing on this, this company is buy less, buy quality, buy timeless. So when you actually spend a little bit more on a better quality garment with better fabric, it's going to last longer. You know, I love so, it. Bell, love bell it. bottoms are back in fashion, baby. So pull them out. I still have some from when they, they kind of had the little like thing in the nineties. Yeah, I know. So yeah. I have our, we call them, I think flare or wide flared right, pants or right, something, right. but I still have those. those Absolutely. They're still cool. But so I expect you to go download that app, Angie. I know I will. I, I don't yes, shop for clothes. I'm upper, excited. But, yeah, <laughs> I will. yeah. I don't shop very often, yeah. but that's the thing is like make it worthwhile when you are going to do it. And yeah, waste is some of these cheap clothes that they're making these days are just goofy. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. how fast they fall apart. Yeah, yeah. Well, awesome week, awesome species. I know we're going to keep the momentum going. We'll be back next week. I know. Look, I'm still like cheesing over here. My uh, smiles. I'm looking at uh, the raccoon dog uh, on my computer screen right now. I love them. Love yeah, them. it was a lot of fun and just, I mean, what a what a unique and beautiful mm-hmm. a member of the you know of our dog fox wolf family yeah. i mean my goodness gracious i think that uh super unique and it just goes to show you that there's a there's got to be other species out there that you and i have been Missing. neglecting yeah. that will yeah that, that we need to share with uh, the western world so yeah, we will. please please keep on sending us emails and facebook messages and we will try to get to your next favorite species take care listen learn share join the movement at allcreaturespod.com